Chapter 25 We clung to Tobias's leg, crawling up into his lower feathers so he'd have use of his talons. And then we flew. It was still a melee. Human controllers were chasing the Helmocron ship, trying to grab the blue box. The Helmocrons responded by firing their ray and shrinking anyone who came too close. But they didn't fire at Tobias. He was no threat, or so they believed. I think I can get them! Tobias yelled as the ship came swerving toward us. It shot beneath us, then paused to aim and fire. In that few seconds of hesitation, Tobias went into a stoop, folding his wings back and dropping like a stone. Or at least like a large grain of sand. He landed on top of the seemingly huge Helmicron ship. The surface was encrusted with tubes, equipment, sensor arrays, and various other details so his talons found a hold. Then, the ship was off again, zipping wildly through a forest of reaching hands. See the pitiful efforts of the Yurk usurpers! They imagine that they can be masters of the galaxy. Ha! It is we, the Helmicrons, who must rule all! And, frankly, they were pretty pitiful efforts. No one was going to shoot as long as the Helmicrons had the blue box. Everyone was focused on it, and it alone. Okay, now what? Tobias asked me. Now we morph. You morph to human. Your human morph should be in proportion to your natural hawk size. You should be at least a quarter inch tall. It's a lot of extra weight for the ship to carry, on top of carrying the blue box. It may slow him down, Marco said. But will it stop them? And even if it does, the Yurks will be able to grab the blue box. I don't think it will stop them, I admitted. But my morph will. Let's see how well they fly with a humpback whale sitting on top of them. Um, Cassie? Marco said. How is a three or four inch whale going to hold on to a ship? I'll wedge myself between the engine nacelles. The bigger I get, the tighter I'll be wedged. Let's give it a try, Tobias said, and he began to morph to human. Morphing is always frightening and disturbing and nightmarishly weird. But this was a new experience. I was on someone morphing. I sat there, clinging with my little skunk paws to Tobias's feathers as they began to melt away. I slipped and landed on his middle talon as it swelled and grew and became smooth in texture. I was right there, inches away, when the toes began to grow. It was like being in the middle of an earthquake. The ground rumbled and shook. Tobias rose, taller and taller. But as he grew, he bent low, clinging with still-forming hands to the ship beneath us. Marco and I began to demorph as well. We would have been a very odd-looking mess if anyone had bothered to look. A nearly invisible hawk, 
morphing into a boy smaller than a toy soldier, while from his legs there grew two much smaller humans. The Helmercron ship was still dodging and weaving madly, but we were able to hold on. Our small mass meant that our muscles were more than strong enough. Tobias, with the two of us on his back, went crawling hand over hand toward the engine pods. Meanwhile, of course, the Helmicrons kept up their inevitable bombast. We will achieve the greatest victory since the dawn of time, as the Yurk usurpers, humans, and Andalites all come to grovel before us. Yurk and human and Andalite will compete to see which can abase himself further. We reached the engine nacelles. They were warm to the touch, but not painfully hot. Tobias helped us down off his back. Marco and I just looked up at him and shook our heads. Well, this is definitely it, Marco said. We have at last achieved maximum weirdness. We're the size of pimples, looking up at a bird-turned-boy who looks huge because he's maybe a quarter of an inch tall as we fly around on the back of a toy-sized spaceship, which we hope to crash by having Cassie turn into a whale the size of a baby mouse, so we can defeat a race of lunatics with brains the size of bacteria. That's it. The votes are in. The Oscar for absolute insanity goes to us. Everyone go home. We rule the lunatic world. Tobias helped to hold me in place. His arm was huge and comforting to me. I don't know. Maybe it was the size of a piece of spaghetti. Probably not that big. Margot was right. We were taking up permanent residence in Bizarro World. Okay, I said to Tobias. Just hang on till I'm wedged in. I began to morph. I began to grow. The biggest morph any of us had ever done. The humpback whale. A real humpback is maybe 50 feet long. Maybe 12 times as long as I am tall, give or take. My baseline now was roughly a sixteenth of an inch. 12 times a sixteenth of an inch is less than an inch. But you have to realize that the ratio was for mass, too. In other words, saying, inch-long whale, doesn't really get across the reality. Because in the real world, a humpback might weigh 60 tons. So as I grew... The Helmicron ship began to feel a weight on its back. A very large weight. For them. I grew and grew and grew, feeling massive, despite the fact that I was no bigger than a goldfish. It hurt a little, being wedged in between the engine nacelles, but at least I wasn't going to fall. And then, to our utter shock, a hatch opened on the top of the ship. A pair of Helmicron eyes popped up. Then, another. They climbed out and onto the exterior of the ship with us. Stop what you are doing and accept your fate as our everlasting slaves. No, I said. I'm going to keep morphing and getting bigger till I drag this ship down. We are the Helmachrons. We are the rulers of the galaxy. All who oppose us will be utterly annihilated. Oh, shut up, Marco said. The two Helmicrons gaped at him. Just shut up. I mean, shut up. Shut up. You aren't the masters of anything. 
Your lice, for crying out loud. Your fleas. You couldn't go mano a mano with a maggot and hope to win. And that's sad, because a maggot has no manos. Tobias grabbed the two homicrons and held them up in the air. Their little legs kicked wildly. Bow before us and beg for your lives, abject insignificant specimens of an inferior species, the Helmocrons yelped. Cassie, morph some more, Marco said. I resumed morphing and grew still larger. The Helmocron ship wasn't dodging and weaving as well as it had been. It was slowing. It was sagging to the rear. And it must have been losing altitude as well because the reaching, grasping hands were all around us. Huge fingers like the columns of Greek temples stabbed the air. Nightmare faces the size of great lakes were all around us. The green ray continued to fire, but now the hands and faces were closing in, and the little ship was slowing. Give it up, you idiots! Marco raged at the Helmocrons. Give it up, and Cassie will demorph. Surrender so you can get away! We are the Helmocrons! We will never surrender! All will exist only to serve us! All will be our... And that's when the really, really, really large hand slammed into the side of the ship. Chapter 26 Wham! Crunch! Gigantic fingers rose above the edge of the ship. Slowly, slowly, they closed around it. I could see the swirls of fingerprint, could see the huge, creek-wide creases and folds in the hand. The ship should have been able to get away, but it was too overburdened. The Helmocrons would not release the blue box, and they would not surrender to us. My plan was looking like a really bad idea. Demorph! Tobias yelled. He's right, demorph! Marco agreed. Better the Helmocrons than the Yurks. I started to demorph, shrinking as fast as I could. Too late! A thumb the size of Manhattan rose from the far side of the little ship. We were caught! I have it! A monstrous voice bellowed, very close by. And then, from above and behind the thumb, something that looked exactly like a crescent moon, and was just about that big, came swooping in. Even to us, it seemed to be moving fast. It sliced down and down and down. Whap! Axe's tail blade hit the thumb. The thumb suddenly disappeared. I heard a world-shattering bellow. The ship tumbled, out of control, around and around. Tobias let go of the Helmocrons and grabbed the first thing he found to grab. Marco was still so small that he held on with ease and I was still wedged in place. A different hand, with more numerous and more slender fingers, reached up and snagged us out of the air. I have them, Prince Jake! Axe cried. Then let's haul! Jake yelled. Jake, where are you? I yelled in thoughtspeak, glad to hear his voice again. I'm about halfway up Axe's leg. I don't know which leg... You're safe. Not hardly. Rachel and I are not alone. Visser 3 and about 20 controllers are coming up the lake after us. We've got a very small tiger 
and a very small grizzly bear here against Mr. Three, who has morphed into some kind of bizarre monster. Axe, I said, you have to put us on your leg so we can help Jake and Rachel. I do not know which leg they are on, Axe said tersely. He was in a full, all-out run now, clutching the Helmocron ship and the blue box and his two weak and delight hands. One of his fingers was pressing down on me, so I began to demorph to release the pressure. Tobias crawled back and grabbed me as I shrank far enough to unwedge myself. He pulled me to sit on his knee like a toddler. Marco was on his other knee. Tobias was leaning back against one of Axe's fingers. I saw the tops of a row of pinball eyes go marching past, just beyond the finger. The Helmicrons! I hissed, now human again. They're bailing! Tobias twisted his head and caught sight of them too. He crouched down and motioned Marco to be quiet. Dozens, maybe hundreds, of Helmicrons were abandoning ship, just over in the next space between Andalite fingers. Tobias was the most visible of us, so he began to demorph back to Hawk, making himself much smaller and less obvious to any inquisitive Helmicron. Marco shook his head and in a voiceless whisper said, Okay, I admit it. I was wrong. We had not achieved maximum weirdness. Now we are at maximum weirdness. I am outrunning my pursuers, Axe said, but I am entering areas where I may be seen. I should morph to human, but if I do, the controllers chasing me may catch up. Also, they would learn that I have a human morph. They already know you have a human morph, Rachel said, or at least they could assume it. Rachel's right, Jake said from his distant location on one of Axe's legs. You have no choice, Axe. Morph to human. Yes, Prince Jake. I was waiting for Jake to tell Axe not to call him Prince, but the next thing I heard from Jake was very different. Rachel! Jake yelled. It's the viscer! The tentacle! Look out! And then Axe began to morph. Where should I go? Axe asked, sounding as frustrated as I felt. Tobias! Cassie! Marco! Where should I run when I have formed my human legs? I tried to stay calm, but now the shouting between Jake and Rachel told of a fierce, deadly battle taking place amid blue and light fur. Where? Where could we go? What could we do? How could we defeat an enemy small enough to be an ant colony? What weapon could we... And then, with utter simplicity and complete perfection, the answer came to me. Tobias, I said, tell Axe not to morph to human. We need to fly. Fly where? To the zoo. We have to go to the gardens. But why? To reload, I said grimly. To reload. Chapter 27 Oh, most high and tremendous! A calamity has befallen us. Our own ship has now been captured. But we fear nothing. We are the boldest of the bold, the bravest of the brave. 
Nothing will stop us as we take control of this vast expanse of huge blue fur. And from that base, launch again our plans to conquer the universe. From the log of the Helmergron ship, Planet Crusher. I had a plan. A pretty good plan. Just one little problem. We had to stay alive to reach the gardens. And that was getting harder, real fast. Axe was morphing from Andalite to Northern Harrier. That way he could fly and carry the Helmicron ship and the blue box in his talons. And all of us were on him. Marco, Tobias, and I on his fingers. A bunch of Helmicrons on his wrist. Jake and Rachel on one of his legs, running and fighting Visser 3 in Morph and a bunch of very tiny human controllers. Just one thing. When Axe morphed, not all his body parts stayed in the same locations. Each morph is different. I don't know why. They just are. And now, as Axe's body began to melt and shrink and run together, unfortunate things were happening. The hand we were on was ceasing to exist. It was like we were standing on molasses. The skin beneath us and around us melted slowly together. It ran beneath our feet, a slow-moving, sludgy river. The gigantic finger on our left and the equally gigantic finger to our right were running together. The molasses skin filled the gap between, raising us higher relative to the fingers. But lower, too, because the whole time, Axe was shrinking. Suddenly, we seemed to be moving on a swift conveyor belt that went off the edge of the world. It was like we were on a conveyor belt that became an escalator that then got steeper and steeper. Look out! Marco cried. Morph to birds! Tobias shouted as he flapped his wings and went airborne. I was slipping, sliding on my belly, grabbing frantically at slick, moving, flowing skin. Beneath me, a fall of miles. Then, a handhold. My fingers grabbed. Bare millimeters to grasp, but the ledge I held was growing deeper. My wildly swinging feet found another crack. I clung to a shifting, melting, slithering cliffside. The angle got worse still. I was upside down. And yet, with my insignificant mass, I found I could hold on to the widening cracks. Marco was dangling not far away, also digging frantic hands and blind feet into cracks in the cliff. We would have fallen, but for the fact that gigantic feather patterns were appearing across the melting skin. The patterns traveled over the skin, like the cracks on a thawing frozen lake. The patterns had just a bit of depth, just enough for a sixteenth of an inch tall creature to grip. Then, between Marco and me, an explosion. The ground erupted as the shallow feather pattern suddenly became fully three-dimensional. Sprout? A feather sprouted between us, sweeping us into its heights. Gray and white veins grew out of the central shaft, thickening and stiffening till they felt like large bamboo sticks. The feather lay back then, closely packed with feathers above and below and all around us. At this point, we were almost horizontal again. It was a gentle slope down the feather shaft to the ground. I felt a slow, steady, up-and-down motion, though that changed the slope from down to up and back again. 
We're on a wing, Marco said. Tobias came swooping in and landed hard. You're on a wing feather, he said, gasping and panting. I can't fly. Too much turbulence. And we have trouble. Trouble? Marco said, mocking. Trouble? What makes you say we have trouble? Everything seems fine to me. Perfectly fine. I have never been better. Tobias didn't laugh. Somehow, we all ended up on the same wing. One of Axe's legs must have melted with his hand to make this wing. Jake and Rachel are just half an inch away. The Yorks are coming on fast, and the Helmicrons are forming into what looks like an army, about a quarter of an inch over that way. See? I told you, everything was fine. Marco, we have to morph. We can't let the Yorks see us as humans, I said. Moments later, a gorilla and a wolf resided in the weird forest of feathers. We trotted down the feather to the ground, the dimpled bird flesh beneath us. And just in time, a tiger and a grizzly bear came racing toward us, staggering through the slanted quills. Since Shake and Rachel had been shrunk while in morph, they, too, were a sixteenth of an inch tall. Jake's tiger face was bloody. He was panting, but not beaten yet. Good to see you guys, he said. Where are the yurks? Tobias asked. Oh, they'll be here pretty quick. The viscer is in some weird morph. Lots of bladed tentacles, like a hork on steroids. Plus, there's a bunch of very scared human controllers. I'm tired of running, Rachel said. Let's just do this right here. Jake and Rachel joined us, shoulder to shoulder. A huge, lumbering bear. A leaf tiger. A powerful gorilla. And me, a wolf with senses that could smell and hear and almost taste the approaching yurks. I was so focused on the yurks, I almost didn't hear the other sound. But then, the viscer's monstrous morph came rushing from the feather forest. It was like a blood-orange Medusa's head, each hair snake carrying a scythe. Crowding in behind him were a bunch of very nervous-looking human controllers, including Chapman. Visser 3 came to a stop. We stood facing him. I saw none of the Visser's usual cool arrogance. Strange place to meet for our final battle, Andalites, he said. But battle we must. That was pretty calm for him. I think maybe the fact that he was the size of a dandruff flake depressed him. We faced off, Yurk versus human, although the Yurk still believed us to be Andalites. And then, from the feathers to our right, there appeared dozens of four-legged, flat-headed, beady-eyed creatures. Ha! Our pitiful foes gathered together! All the better to quake in terror before Helmacron might! Surrender and live out your pitiful lives as our slaves! Or fight us and die as weaklings! For a long Frozen moment. No one moved. Twisting his tentacles aside to reveal a hideous face, the viscer looked at us. I don't know about you, Andalites, he said, but these creatures are really, really, really annoying me. Now, I know it's not possible for a tiger to grin, but I swear Jake did. 
and for the first, and probably last time in history, humans and yurks turned as one to face a common enemy. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the truce didn't last long, because just then Axe announced, We are over the gardens. I gave him quick thought-speak directions and yelled to the others, We have to get off this bird. What? Jake demanded. We have to jump. I said, We have to jump off Axe. Excuse me? Rachel said, We're like a billion miles off. Just trust me, I said. Go to the end of a feather and get ready to jump. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and uh, we're almost there. One more episode should wrap up this book, and I've got to be honest, people, um, this one's not my favorite. Uh, <clears throat> this isn't the only, like, goofy, goofy book that Kay Avalia wrote, right? There's a couple of them, you know. Famously, we had Instant Oatmeal, we have the Area 52 or whatever. I feel like even in those ones, though, there was, like, some sort of thing to hold on to. Like, in the Oatmeal one, I I was really interested in the kind of character study of, of Jake having to choose between this admittedly kind of goofy um attack on the yurks and the risk of trapping his brother with a yurk in his brain forever and you know if he that was uh something worth doing with he was willing to risk that uh, and this one is just like they're small and that's like the whole book and um i'm over it but we're almost there so we're gonna keep on pushing strong and finish out clean um but yeah thank god I do not want to read this book anymore. <laughs> On to bigger and better things. Um, what else we got? We do have a message. We got an email. Uh, if you'd like to write in, me an email, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, this was sent in by Josh, who uh, writes, Dear Daniel, I'm loving the podcast so far. Keep doing what you're doing. I have one request, and that is to play a segment of a specific song for the episodes of the final Animorphs book. That song should be the cinematic version of In the End by Tommy, Prophet, and Flurry. It fits so well with the context of the finale. I'd love for you to make that happen. Sincerely, Josh. Uh, thank you for writing in, Josh. I can't promise that that is the track I will use for the final book's intro, but um, you've certainly put this on my radar. I've added it to my list, um, and... Maybe it will be. I don't know. I'll know when I get there and I'm looking for songs and what uh, I think fits with what uh, what I'm envisioning in my brain, I guess. Um, but thank you for writing in. And uh, who knows? There's a... You know, who knows? Uh, we're <laughs> seeing a couple years when we get there and um, we'll find out. Uh, other ways you can contact me if you don't like to use Gmail is uh, you can do it on Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And you can do it on my website. That's theapodcalypse.com. That's theapodcalypse. Like apocalypse but with the D in the middle. There's like a, a answer form. I don't know, really know what to call it. But you can, you know, they'll send me an email if you use that. Lastly, of course, you can uh, reach me on Twitter. That's at Audiomorphs. And that is where you should check if I'm ever late uploading an episode. I'll be letting you know what's going on over there. 
Uh, if you use Apple iTunes, sorry, it's Apple Podcasts now, and you'd like to leave me a rating and review, I sure would appreciate it. That, uh, I guess, boosts me in the search results or something. I don't know. Everyone else always says that, so I feel like I have to say that. Um, yeah, that's all I got this week. Thank you so much for listening, and um, I promise my personal feelings about this book will not impact the quality of my recording as we close out... Um, the suspicion. Sorry, I book twenty four. That's what we're on uh, next week. Though actually, I should also mention that uh, I will probably be taking uh, the week after after next week uh, off just to get get you guys prepared. I think I'm just gonna release the supercut uh, that next week. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a little burnt out uh, because <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I don't like this book. I'm sorry. So I'd like I'd like to take a week to kind of recover, um, maybe play with uh, that lovely Reaper program, the um, the Seven Dice. I'm so sorry, I've already forgotten the name of your podcast, but their producer uh, linked me. I might check that out. I decided I'd keep Audacity uh, just to keep the quality consistent throughout this one, but I might switch for the next book. Um, and now I'm rambling. So thank you all for listening. Um, I've said what I've had to say, and I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>